Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Welcome, church. It's great to have you with us today. Why don't you get cozy, grab your seats, get your notebooks, get your Bibles. We are starting a new series today, and I'm really excited because it really is a timely time go figure, to actually start speaking about giving as God gives. We're going to be doing this series over the next couple of weeks leading into Christmas, and it's really important that as we gear ourselves up for the, uh, the season of generosity, that we actually understand the godly principle of generosity, what God actually reveals to us through His Scriptures. So we're going to be talking about generosity today and the grace of generosity. You know, it's really interesting when, when God called Ben and I to Canada, he provided us with 15 people to journey with us. Um, and he also provided church support from our sending church. When God called our kids to Canada, in a really miraculous way, he provided Christian, educa- Christian education to support them on their journey. When God called Avant Life to the North Shore, He provided us with a church building. When God called us to be good stewards of the miracle building, he provided us with the resources, the people, and the support to actually steward the miracle well. When God called us to Squamish, he provided us with another opportunity to steward another building and more people to actually steward that miracle. The reality is that we need to understand if God calls us, he provides God calls, God provides. When God gives seeds, when God gives you seed, it's into his soil that's watered by his rain and grown under his sun. Have you ever thought about the amazing creation process of a seed actually growing into a tree or into a plant, that it's actually his soil, that it's actually from his breath that he provided that soil. It's actually from from his word that the rains fell down and watered that seed. And it's his word that created the sun to shine to actually have that seed grow. When God calls us, church, in whatever season, you need to understand he calls us into what he has already provided. And so as we we start this journey of understanding godly generosity, you need to understand that when God calls you into the impossible— that in our search for help, we would receive more than just help, but we would find Him. God calls us into the impossible so that we might receive and encounter Him. And so these testimonies, these moments in the Avant Life story should be testimonies to you that encourage you that everything that God is calling you to right now and everything that he has called you to in the past, in his hand, he's going to provide the soil, he's going to provide the rain, he's going to provide the sun. And it's in that place that we start to have the conversation about giving as God gives this morning. Are you excited? Okay, awesome. We're going to talk about um, a couple of things this morning, but um, in uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, we have these two incredible chapters uh, where Paul speaks to the Corinthian church about generosity. Um, Throughout Scripture, we see that this reoccurring theme of generosity being an act of grace and grace in itself an act of generosity. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1 says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace 
We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. You can't separate grace and generosity. They're intertwined with each other. Luke 19, we read about this encounter that Jesus has with a man called Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was this short dude, and he was a tax collector. Now, to be a tax collector meant that you were, uh, and he was a Jewish tax collector, which meant he was working for Rome. Now, shame, shame if you're Jewish and working for Rome. So he was not really very favored amongst um, his peers. He was someone that people did not like because he was working for the enemy. That's how they saw it. And so we have this encounter where where Zacchaeus, who's short, um, hands up all you short people. I hear you. I see you. Well, you see me. I, I don't see you, but that's okay. Anyway, so we have this moment where Zacchaeus, who's short, is trying to actually get a glimpse of this miracle worker, right? Jesus has been doing these incredible miracles, and everyone's like, hey, what's this dude about? Like, where is this guy? So he actually climbs this tree to get a good picture of Jesus. And in verse 5, we read this. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when the people saw this, they all grumbled. Now, you can kind of understand from like a social dynamic why they were annoyed that Jesus wanted to hang out with Zacchaeus, right? Like, it's, it's like you've got all these devout Jewish people that are following Jesus and they're just waiting for their opportunity to have like a one-on-one encounter with him and, and like have a meal with him. And then you see Zacchaeus and you know Zacchaeus because he's that, that kid down the road that's always been a little bit funny and he's working for the bad guys now and Jesus points him out. And you're like, what? Jesus, I've been serving you for like following you and doing everything right by the law. And you're choosing this guy? And so there's a little bit of grumbling that happens. And there's this grumbling at the grace and the generosity that Jesus extends to Zacchaeus. It's really interesting because legalists, they grumble at grace and generosity. Why? Because they're actually counting the cost without keeping focus on the price that Christ paid. See, legalists have lost sight of Jesus. They weren't looking at Jesus anymore. What they were looking at was Zacchaeus. Their focus had shifted from looking at Jesus to their focus being on Zacchaeus. When we shift our focus, when God brings grace and generosity, when we shift our focus from it being on God and being on Jesus and being on the Holy Spirit, and we shift our focus to not acknowledge them in the room, we start looking at humanity. And we start looking at the fallibility of humanity. We start looking at the flaws of ourselves, the flaws of others, the flaws of the world. And we start grumbling. Why? Because we've lost sight of God. We've lost sight of Jesus. See, in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, we're reminded, and Paul says this to the Corinthian church, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace. You know this grace that though he was rich, Yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Paul is trying to remind us not to lose sight of the richness that Christ laid down for us. He's trying to bring our focus back on Jesus. He's trying to bring our focus back into the thing that it needs to be because it needs to be grounded. Our generosity, our receiving generosity and giving generosity needs to be founded on sight of Jesus Christ. See, Zacchaeus was transformed by that grace that Christ extended to him. 
Zacchaeus was transformed. And in that transformation, abundant generosity was a fruit produced from the, from the grace that came from an encounter with Christ. See, if you truly keep focus on Jesus and you let that grace transform your life, if you let that grace actually come into you, who your every being and transform you, then the fruit is going to be abundant generosity. Like you can't not be transformed by grace and not have abundant generosity flowing out of you. If you don't have abundant generosity flowing out of you, the question is then, have you lost sight of Jesus? Have you lost sight of the foundation of this grace-filled generosity? Just like Zacchaeus, we need to give out of a heart that has received. And in Matthew, we read that freely you have received, so freely give. We need to be reminded that as we learn about these principles of generosity, before we even start getting into the action of generosity, we need to make sure the foundation, the principles of generosity are laid on strong grounds. And that is in a focus of Jesus Christ. Don't be a legalist that grumbles at the grace extended by Christ. Don't be a legalist when you see the generosity of Christ going into places that you think are undeserving. When you have that position of heart, fix your eyes back on Jesus because we have all fallen short of the glory of God and we have all received that generous grace that Christ himself gave us. How many times in our moments of generosity have we lost sight of Christ? You know, knowing Christ is knowing grace and knowing grace is knowing generosity as God gave. And so we need to remember that foundation. You know, one of the prohibitors of actually having gracious generosity is is the guilt complex. Who's ever felt guilty before? I see that hand. Um, (laughs) Who's you've ever felt guilty? You know, like that classic picture of the uncle that's never around, and then he rocks up and he's bought the kid like a million presents because guilty conscience says, "Well, I just got to like buy stuff to actually appease." the children and, and, you know, I'm, I'm doing it out of guilt, you know, I'm doing it because I'm not around and because I haven't been, you know, uh, present in their life. And we, we know that picture. It's an example that is uh, portrayed across this world. Um, but guilt actually leads to unauthentic action. Guilt is purely a moment. It's, it's unauthentic action. When you let generosity be grounded in guilt, it's an unauthentic action that remains in a moment, Whereas grace actually leads to a transformed existence, which is a lifetime. See, when you allow guilt to be the thing that takes place of grace in your generosity, you're going to be forever catching up to moments. You're going to forever be trying to appease a moment. And you're going to be forever trying to live in a moment. And when that moment finishes, you're going to be left with guilt again. Yet Christ is actually saying to us, you need to let your generosity be transformed by the grace that you've freely received. And from that place, be able to give out of that place. Not because you have a guilt complex, not because you feel bad about something. Now, I'm not talking about the sin and shame that we all have and the guilt that we have there. Jesus has paid it all so that we can live in freedom. I'm talking about in your generosity, do you give out of guilt? Have you come to the table with a guilt gift saying, hey, sorry, I missed that. Like, sorry, I wasn't there for that. So here you go. Jesus doesn't want that. He wants your life to be fully transformed by grace so that you can have a lifetime of transformed grace. It is an eternal thing. Matthew 6, 19, we should all know this. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In the summertime, um, Ben bought me a mountain bike. And if I were to do any type of fitness, like my favorite thing would be dance. I just love to dance. Um, And then my second favorite thing would be to ride bikes. And so Ben bought me this mountain bike, like he brought it home a day and I was like, ah, like I'm a gifts person. So I was like buzzing. Um, And I was so excited. And I was like, you know what? This mountain bike is going to make a way for me to become really fit and make sure that I'm stewarding my body well, that I'm getting really fit. And I'm like, I, I have an opportunity to do what I need to do to get really fit and really healthy. And this bike is going to transform me and it's going to be something that's going to be amazing. Now we live um, right near nature. Welcome to North Van. Everyone's like, yeah, we get it. Um, We live like right near a forest walk and so we get raccoons, we get skunks, we get bears, we get squirrels, we get rats. Um, They don't stay around for too long and um, we also get owls because the owls take them out, that's why. Anyway, so we have like this beautiful nature home and we get all sorts of wildlife. So when you hear a bump in the night, you're like, yeah, the, the raccoons are back kind of thing. One night I hear this bump in the night and I kind of was like, oh man, like that's a hefty raccoon. Like it probably needs to lay off the pizza boxes I put out earlier. Um, but I kind of just turn over and go back to sleep. The next morning we're rushing to get the kids off to school and I walk out to my patio and I was like... Something's different. I'm like, and I know when someone's messed with my house. Something's different. What's going on? And I just said to Ben, I'm like, Ben, someone's stolen my bike. Now, I'm sure many of you have had an experience where you've lost something or someone's taken something from you. Well, a lot of bikes were getting stolen around the area. And our house got hit and they'd knocked over all of our kids' bikes and stolen my brand new mountain bike. And I was really upset, like... I was pretty upset. I don't cry a lot, but I got close that time. And so I was like, man, like, that's really annoying. Like, my bike, I was going to enjoy riding it. I was going to be active. And when the bike was taken from me, me, do you know what I did? Well, I didn't go for a bike ride, but I also didn't pursue being active. Actually, so the bike being the thing was taken from me. The principle being a good steward of my body was also taken from me. Both of those things were lost that day. One, because someone took it from me. And two, because I had founded that principle based upon the thing. I had actually gone, this bike is going to be the solution for me having this principle in my life. Yet we fall for this trap all the time where we think that blessings, that blessings that are things. Yet God's actually saying, no, your blessing is the principle because If I had just remained in that place where I lost that principle of fitness, we'd be needing a much wider camera angle today. But by the grace of God, I'm able to pick that principle back up. But we all do it, don't we? Where we go, this will be the solution to that principle that I'm missing. This thing will be the answer to the principle that I'm missing in my life. Yet when that gets stolen, when that rots, when that gets destroyed... Do we lose the principle as well? Because why it has been founded on the wrong thing. Jesus is actually saying in Matthew 6 verse 19 that for yourself, like this is for you. Jesus doesn't need 
all your things. Like heaven is not in lack. Heaven's fine. It's going really well up there. But Jesus is saying, for yourself, you need to store these things up in heaven. You need to actually store up things that are going to be grace moments that are transformational, eternal, lifetime effects into your heavenly. And so God is actually reminding us that your blessings, they're not things. Like how quickly does a thing break? How quickly does a thing leave you? How quickly is a thing stolen? Yet if you can have principles of generosity founded in your character, that is something that will be eternal. That is something that will be stored up in the heavenlies, that when you go to heaven and you get to rejoice and celebrate with Jesus, you get to have that gift that Christ gave to you because you stored it up. And so we need to remember when talking about generosity, that it's not a thing. When we're talking about having blessings in life, yes, things are nice. I get it. Like like everyone wants a pair of shoes or whatever, but like things are nice. I get it. But if you're founding your life on things, just watch how quickly that will just shatter and be taken away from you. We need to have a foundation of generosity as a principle so that when it's challenged, we don't lose. We don't lose out. When that bike was taken for a moment, I lost that principle. Yet through the grace of God, no matter where we're at right now, we can actually pick that back up again. See, guilt isn't a sustainable method for generosity. It is, its well is shallow and dry. And when we allow the enemy to replace our grace-filled generosity with guilt-motivated generosity, then we've allowed him to steal our God-breathed principles. And we need to make sure that we protect those principles in our life. The enemy is actually trying to steal your God-breathed principles. He's trying to, uh, by having your generosity be founded in guilt. So when you come to the generosity topic, leave guilt. Don't let guilt come and be a part of this. Guilt is toxic and it will rob you of the blessings that God wants to pour out in you because of the blessings that you pour out. In Matthew 10, verse 8, we are reminded, this is how we need to give. Freely you have received freely give. Grace always leads us back to how we have received. You know, in in 2 Corinthians, we read about this Macedonian church that is a part of this, uh, they're taking up a a collection, they're taking up an offering um, for those in need in Jerusalem. And so basically, Paul's going out to all of the churches he's founded, um, playing his part in making sure that they are a part of this offering. Um, And so we see the Macedonian church has been a part of it, and now he's going to the Corinthian church and be like, hey, we need to give in to this offering. We need to make sure we're a part of it. Now, to give you some context, this letter is written around 55-58 AD, which is the time of, of the Emperor Nero. Now, for those of you who don't know, Nero, um, <laughs> it's the Canadian Aussie twang, sometimes it catches me. Um, for those of you who don't know, Nero was like, he was a tyrant. He persecuted Christians. Um, he was known for uh, both Peter and Paul being martyred during his time. He did not love Christians, and so they were in a time of trial um, because Nero was in control, right? And so this is the setting that they're taking up the offering. And it says um, in chapter 8, verse 1, this is what Paul says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Notice the grace that God has given. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. 
I just want to focus on this one verse today. If you notice, they were in severe trial. Does that resonate with anyone? Anyone in suffering right now? Anyone feeling like they're in a a situation where maybe restrictions are getting a little bit heavy and you're feeling like you're in suffering and you're feeling like you're in a trial and and things are a little bit harder because you feel like your faith is being persecuted or squashed or diminished and, and you feel like you're in a little bit of suffering? Some of you have said that you feel like this is a time of suffering. Yet when we are in suffering, does our generosity become short sighted? Isn't it interesting that in a moment of suffering, let alone extreme poverty, in a moment of suffering, that's when the wellspring of joyful generosity came out of the Macedonian church. Yet we let our suffering sometimes make our generosity really short-sighted. Well, I'll give when this whole thing's over. I'll be generous and let that principle come alive when I've gotten past this trial. I'll let that flow out of my life when things are a little bit better and when, you know, restrictions aren't as hard and, you know, and I'll let generosity come back then, but it's just on the waiting. It's just waiting right now. And so we're just going to leave it over there. Yet here, literally, this is this is people that are being persecuted, like physically persecuted, socially persecuted because of their faith. It did not stifle their generosity. Not only did it not stifle their generosity, but it did not stifle their joyful generosity. They decided that no matter what the suffering looks like, they're not going to bring the suffering to the church. It wasn't the suffering that they brought out of them. It was a joyful generosity that came out of them. We need to remember in our times of trial, in our times of struggle, whether it's 2020 or whether it's in five years' time, whatever trial, whatever struggle, we need to remember that having a generous spirit is not dependent on the trials that we face. Instead, it's this wellspring of joy that flows out of us. No matter if you're in extreme poverty or in incredible wealth, generosity is a principle that needs to be remain constant in our character. And we see this Macedonian church, their sufferings were not what they brought. They didn't bring their sufferings as an offering. It didn't affect how they actually let generosity affect those around them. Their opinions about how they should respond to their sufferings were not what they brought to the church. Their polarizing views about the sufferings were not what they brought to their church. The church. It was the joy of generosity that they brought. And we need to remember it. In the moment of severe suffering of Christ on the cross is the greatest moment of generosity we have ever seen. And it was a moment of extreme suffering for Christ. You just remember that picture for a moment. Christ on the cross, suffering, like Christ suffering in pain, in turmoil, still in that moment of the brink of death, gave. He did not let generosity be robbed from him, even though his life was taken from him. And it is on that foundation that we have to let generosity be a part of who we are as the church. I'm not just talking about you as an individual, as the greater body of a church. We need to make sure generosity is displayed to this world. That in times of suffering, they don't look at us and see our opinions or or what we think about this situation, but they see this gracious generosity flowing out of us in extreme joy, even in extreme poverty. That generosity and joy are what come out of us. We need to know that what is coming out of us is what is already in us. If you shake up a bottle and it's got Coke in it, guess what's going to come out? Coke is going to come out. You don't expect water to come out. What is already in you is what is going to come out of you. And so we need to remember as a church that is, is, is that what is in us right now during this suffering? 
during this time of restrictions, during, you know what? These things change. Every season change and new sufferings come. But so do new mercies. And so church, we need to be grounded on new mercies when it comes to being able to give as God gives. Just as Christ did on that cross, let our greatest act of generosity not be void in our sufferings, but ever present. Another piece that we see in the Macedonian church is this overflowing joy. And it's pretty incredible to think, I mean, like when I reflect on um, maybe the last two months of my life and I reflect what's been going on in my brain and what's been happening in the world around us, joy is definitely something that's easily taken. And, and Pastor Ben preached an incredible word about putting on praise and making sure that we're dressed in praise. And so this, this thing of joy really like sticks out to me because so often we give up joy very quickly like, it's like, well, I'm busy, so joy can wait. Like, and, and joy was never meant to be just this moment of, of happiness, but like, like generosity, it's meant to be this principle that, that comes out of us, this, this thing that's a part of our character. And so they were encouraged by Paul to persevere and in turn encouraged Paul of not just survival, but of the joy that they found in the unity of generosity. Like, it wasn't them just scraping by. They were actually joyful, like, it's not like, yeah, I guess we can give this to those in need. Like, these were a people also in need. It says that they were in extreme poverty, but they actually, they really pleaded to be a part of this offering, and they did it in joy. Like, that stumps me. Like, I want to meet these people. I really, I do. I want to meet these people, and I want to catch what they had. How did they find this joy? Where did this well of joy come from during this extreme poverty and trial? I truly believe that when we understand our role when it comes to God generosity, then we start to step fully into the joy that we receive. See, 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. See, we are stewards. We are stewards of God's grace. We are stewards of God's generosity. When we step outside of that role of being a steward of what God has given us, our fists become very tight and closed and we don't pour out the generosity that God so desired us to by giving us what he did. Levi, my 10-year-old son, joined a soccer team recently and it's been so awesome for him and he's doing really well and he, he absolutely loves being a part of a team. And, you know, so at home at times he'll like practice like different things like, mom, watch this, mom, watch this. It's like every, whoa, that's so amazing. <laughs> But in it, like he's, he's stewarding this, this talent, this gift, this opportunity that he's been given. And, you know, he loves being a part of that team. But if he were to just stay on the sidelines forever, I can tell you his joy would probably diminish. Why? Because he's actually not being able to take what he's stewarded into play. And I truly believe that as we take what God has given us, as we've stewarded it, that at some point God wants to bring it into play. And in that moment where we bring it into play, watch your joy increase. Like, you'll get those tingly feelings. You'll be like, the Holy Spirit is filling me with joy right now. If you just keep storing up and storing up and storing up, and you never actually give out and let those things happen and let those things go into play, one, you're robbing a team. And you're robbing yourself of joy of being a part of that team. Like, as the body of Christ... We are that team that we get to celebrate with each other. 
that we get to be a part on, on the field together, having great joy together. Don't leave everything on the side that robs you of your joy. Bring it to the team. Bring it onto the, onto the field. I said table almost, but soccer is filled, right? Yep. <laughs> we are stewards. We need to remember what we have been given is so that we would steward it well, not so that we would keep it forever locked in a box that when we die just becomes rusty and old and does not have any use. We are stewards so that we can pour out Another thing that we see in the Macedonian church is this rich generosity. See, Paul never actually indicates the dollar amount that they gave. He never actually says, well, they gave this amount and and this is the financial details and the layout and blah, blah, blah. He divulged the heart and the attitude of their giving. He didn't divulge their financial details. He divulged the heart and the attitude of their giving. If we are to come into a place where we give to God, we better get our heart and our attitude in a place where it is going to be received. They understood that richness wasn't a thing, but a God-breathed principle that they could embrace as a part of their character. Isn't that awesome? That God's richness is something we can embrace as a part of our character. Like, how much more wealth is there in that than like a Big Mac down the road? The Macedonian church didn't see the outworking of the offering, by the way. They didn't, they didn't put it in loan. They'd said, okay, we're going to give this amount and then we'll release it when we see what the work's actually done. No, they gave. They gave. They trusted the body. They trusted that the vision of the body as a whole was honoring Christ by serving others. So they didn't say, hey, if you get A, B, C, and D done, we'll uh, slip a check for uh, this amount. That's conditional. That's not generosity. That's not giving. So you've got to understand the difference too. Alone and generosity and giving freely because we've been freely given too, very different. Don't loan to God. That's an offence to his body. That's an offence to his kingdom. Don't loan to God. When we come to our Father, we need to understand, one, we're stewards, but that we give to him, that we release, that we don't actually hold tightly to the things that God has asked for us, that when we give, we don't wait to see what happens, but we celebrate when the testimony comes back, that we were able to be a part of that. So we give open-handed. They gave no conditions, just joy. Isn't that amazing? How I would love to be filled up that way, that God would decrease my humanity and increase Christ in me. That the flawed person that I am would become less so that Christ could come more so I could experience greater joy in the generosity that I have learnt from him. The last point that I want to share with you guys, and it's really the key point that I felt God planted on my heart for us as a church. Us as a church is a local church, but us as a church as, as a global church. And it's just one word. It says this in, in chapter 8. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It's the word there. There. It speaks to unity. So to give you some context, right, Paul's going to the Gentile churches he's founded so that the Gentile churches and the Jewish Christians also that Peter was overseeing, that they would come together not just as a gift and not just as a charity, but as an image of unity. You've got to understand the context. Gentiles were not accepted 
earlier on, until Christ came, Gentiles were not a part of the people of God. And so this moment where they're bringing an offering together, yes, it speaks to meeting a need. But one of the key things it actually speaks to was unity amongst the church. It's that they were doing this together, that the veil had been torn and Christ was there in the midst of everyone, present for everyone, every believer. And so we see the unity of the Gentile and Jewish believers coming together in an act of generosity. See, Paul's focus for the church throughout all trials was unity. He talks about it constantly, that through trials, through temptations, that you would be unified, that you would be together. And unity then flowed into how they gave. When physically divided, do we remain spiritually united? This is a test for all of us. I may not be with you right now, but can we honestly say as the body of Christ that through this trial, we've been spiritually, spiritually united? We all have, honestly, there are polarizing views and opinions and perspectives and experiences in our life, whether it's, it's 2020 or whether it's something else, we're not all gonna see eye to eye every time. There's gonna be moments where the enemy will creep in and say, ah, a point of division, let's work with that. But Paul encourages us in our generosity by reflection of what the Macedonian church did is that they came together, that there was a unity in the generosity that they had. And so we need to remember that during this time, I don't, whether you're on side A or side B, the fact of the matter is if we lose sight of Jesus, if we lose sight of of Christ and the simple gospel that has unified us together, then our generosity is flawed. We need to remember, it's so easy how we get complicated, yet the simple gospel is so precious and so profound and the thing that unites us, yet the enemy tries to creep in and complicate matters. And instead of having conversations about the goodness of God, we're having conversations about vaccines on polarizing sides. I'm not here to make a statement about anything, by the way. I'm just saying, what is our focus? Have we let polarizing views on politics, on sciences, on freedoms, whatever it is, on health, have we let those polarizing views divide the church of God? Paul actually says that anyone who destroys unity among the body is an assault on God's dwelling place. That is a big, heavy thing for us, that as we relearn generosity through a time of trial, through through a time of restriction, through a time when we're not going to all see eye to eye, can we be united in the fact that we have received grace out of a generous God so that we in turn could give generously with grace? Do not let the enemy get in and divide us, church. We are not to be divided. We are one. We are the body of Christ. And as we continue to learn these principles, stay focused on Jesus. Because if you don't, you'll start grumbling like the legalists do. And we don't want to be a grumbling church. We want to be a church that breathes life into our community by having generosity founded on the fact that Jesus Christ paid it all. We have lost sight of Christ far too many times. And I'm standing here today saying, not again. 
We are not going to allow the enemy to rob our vision of Christ Jesus in the moment of severe trial, in the moment of extreme poverty. We are going to be overflowing with joy and generosity because we got to make a stand, not for politics, not for anything else, but for Jesus Christ here and now. Do not lose sight of Him. Do not lose sight of Him in the midst of everything else. Verse 5, it says, And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. We need to give ourselves first to the Lord. If we don't give ourselves first to the Lord, all of our generosity to others is fragile. It's futile. Our generosity is founded on God, on His character. God was not divided amongst Himself when Jesus came to the cross and paid for our sins. He was united, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He was united so that we would receive salvation united, so that we would remember unity, that we would remember when we give as God gives, we're giving out of the image of God that is generous, united. We are a united church. I claim that over us today. I claim that we are united and that in our generosity, when we come to give, when we come to pour out, that we are overflowing with joy because we have made this offering together, that we have come together. Church, why don't you stand? I feel there is a fight on for godly principles right now. And God is trying to distort our generosity. Isn't it funny in a season where generosity and gift giving seems to be so paramount that the enemy would try to bring the thing that would discredit our generosity. He would try to bring disunity to the church. And so right now we need to stand as an army of God saying we're in unity here. We're in unity because our focus isn't left or right. It's centered Jesus Christ every time. Every time that our conversations from this moment forward would be transformed to reflect a gospel message. Let our conversations flow out of the grace that we have received from Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with this before we head back into worship. In 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10, it encourages us, Paul encourages the church and he says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That that would be our prayer, that our generosity would not give us accolades, but the result of our generosity would be thanksgiving to God that the world would start to be thankful to God because of the generosity that is poured out from us through joy, through unity. Church, I encourage you right now. God has called us to give. He's empowered us to give and He's provided us to give. In all of this, first give yourself to the Lord and then from that, the overflow will be to others. Why don't we take time to really focus back on Jesus in the midst of all of this We need to focus on Jesus. Come on, let's worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.